I feel uh, almost just overwhelmed in my heart for what God's doing, for who he is, for such incredible people. I had the privilege of being at uh, Cindy's birthday party, 21st anniversary of her 39th birthday. <laughs> 21 and 39 are better numbers than 60. We could say that because she looks like she's 39. But uh, it just hit me while her family was sharing about her and the things that she's faced and overcome, difficulties physically. And I got thinking about other people and stories that I've heard. And how many of you have overcome situations that people in the world couldn't imagine? I realize it's only because your eyes are fixed on Jesus. There's not anything else. And as our eyes are fixed on him, it just made me realize, if you look around, there's some incredible stories, some incredible people and maturity and situations sitting right next to you. When it says he adds a solitary and family, it's amazing the family that he chooses. And so I'm just very grateful, very grateful for you. Thank you for your prayers uh, as I was away. My mom's passing your prayers for John, uh, your prayers for all of each other. It's just uh, delightful. I, would, I really want to thank Kate, who's gone out with the kids, does everything for preaching and for uh, Johan preaching the last couple of weeks. Uh, I just think it's wonderful that God's given us such great gifts. And so uh, they're a blessing. Back to 1 Chronicles. Chapter 13. From verse 1, Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities, their common lands, that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we've not inquired of it since the days of Saul. All the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Ark of God represents God's presence. He dwelt between the... Uh, the wings of the cherubim. So it represented God's presence. So they're saying, we want God's presence. And they've got all the leaders together. They're in unity. They've got all the people together. Sounds wonderful. They're going to bring the presence of God back. It was right in the eyes of people. And David gathered all Israel together from someplace in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath and to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jiriam, from that place. And David and all Israel went up to Baalah, <laughs> which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God of the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played music before the Lord with all their might, with singing, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourine, on cymbals, and with trumpets. They had a big band like we had this morning. They were worshiping with all their might. They're in unity. 
Their, their focus is the, the presence of God. They're doing everything. And when they came to Chihon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was roused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that, was, that place was called Perez Uzzah to that day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Over in chapter 15, just for the sake of time, David learned something in 14, but we come to 15. In verse, from verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tin in it. And David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to his place, which we, he had prepared for it. And verse 12, he said to them, you're the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, for you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, to the place I prepare for it. But because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we had not consulted him about the proper order or the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of God of Israel, and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word Word of the Lord. They had the right heart. They were in unity. They had the right motive. They were worshiping with all their might. But God has a pattern for how his things are done. Not just what we think is good. What he thinks. Back over in Exodus, I'm going to Build the foundation of this for a few moments, and then we're going to come back to that. Back over in Exodus chapter 40, it says as God had commanded Moses, and we see that in chapter 40 of Exodus. From verse uh, 16, it says, And thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. He's building the, the tabernacle, which is the place for God's presence to dwell. And, and he did this, and he did this in verse 19, as the Lord had commanded the last Moses. Verse 21, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 23, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 24, 25, as the Lord had commanded Moses. That, everything he did as God had commanded. And then verse 34, and the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter because a cloud rested upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God had a way. He didn't just say, build me a tabernacle. He said, build it like this. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 40. And see to it that you make, it, make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. In fact, in Acts 7.44, it 
it refers to Moses having built the tabernacle according to the pattern that God had. Just hang with me for a few minutes. This is the boring part. It'll get better, I promise. But not only with the tabernacle did God have a pattern, but when they came to building the temple, God also had a pattern. 1 Chronicles, chapter 28. A wonderful story. David's going to build the, the, tibern, the temple. And in verse 19, it says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. Wow. David had this great idea, but God had a pattern. Second Chronicles, and chapter 5 and verse 14, all part of the same story. So the elders of Israel came, and the, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought the ark of the tabernacle of meeting, and that was 4, and 14 says, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the, the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. In Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 5, God says that that tabernacle was a copy of something in heaven. Why God had a plan was he didn't just wake up one day and say, I would like a tabernacle that looks like this. He said, there's something in heaven that this represents, so it's got to be built according to this pattern. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23 says that it was, therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God for us. There's something in heaven that represents God's plan that the tabernacle was made according to the pattern, the temple was made according to the pattern, and I want to submit to you that the church is made according to the pattern. It's not just history. It's us. Go back to uh, 1 Chronicles 15, if you would. So we see that they had the right heart, the right unity. They were worship, worshiping. But then if we look at this, what we see is that, the, as I said, the ark represents the presence of God. But we see that the presence of God was carried on the shoulders of the priests. David had this wonderful idea. Let's get a new cart. We're going to treat it with honor and respect. We're going to get a new cart, not one that's been used. It's not dirty and smelly. We're going to bring this ark to the place that he's prepared. Everyone's in unity. They're worshiping. But God said, no, it's carried, not on a new cart. It's carried on the shoulders of the priests. Why? 
Because in the New Testament, we're all priests. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that the presence of God is carried on the shoulders of the priesthood. All of us. It's carried on our shoulders. God's pattern is that we carry the presence of God together. Exodus 32, when God says he's going to send them up, they'd sinned. But in, in verse 14 to 16, it says, uh, in Exodus 32, he's going to send them up. And, and Moses says, if you don't go with us, God says, I'll send an angel. He says, no, if you don't go with us, don't send us. He says, because it's your presence that makes us different. Why is the presence of God so important? Because it's his presence that makes us different. But the reality is that we carry that presence together. Now that's the, uh, the good news. Now what does it mean practically? Here's why I step on toes. Do you know that we're all worshipers? That's part of the, the ministry of this priesthood. Worship. These guys lead us in worship, but they don't do it for us. We're the worshipers. If we're a kingdom of priests, it's not a concert. It's us carrying God's presence together. Somebody's phone. Let me say this. These guys are not responsible for the presence of God when we gather together. Oh, if they'd only picked the right songs. I don't like that one. Oh, if they could play better, we'd have more anointing. Some of you are going... <laughs> the reality is if we would all worship we'd have more anointing don't blame them if you're sitting watching see this is what it means that we carry the presence of God on our shoulders together why because we're a copy of something in the heavens. A bride for Christ. Every one of us. Part of that bride. Every one of us a cell. Every one of us a part of that body. That not just observers, not just someone who comes to watch, but someone who comes to participate. We are going to be worshiping forever. If you can't do it now, you're going to be bored when you get to heaven. Not only are we worshipers, but we're being equipped for the ministry. That's what saints do. Saints do the work of the ministry. Why do we have time of preaching? Because I like to hear myself talk. No, because I'm equipping you. Do you come expecting God to speak to you? 
That's why the Bible says you're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if it's just to entertain you, you can just be a hearer. But if you're going to be equipped, you've got to actually do it. Man. It means I have to do something. I wish I could just sit and watch. Let me ask you, do you expect God to speak to you? Let me go a step further. Do you take notes of what he says to you? Not what I preach, but what he says to you. Are you actually expecting to be changed? 1 Timothy 4, 5. I was going to just read the one, but I, there's so much in there. As soon as I find it. He's talking about teaching and he says to the Timothy, let no one despise your youth in, in verse 12, but be an example. Uh, verse 13, give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Uh, and then in verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. God's actually looking for you to progress, to advance, to move forward, to grow. Are you expecting that? That's his expectation. And such a way that your progress is evident to everyone around you. Are you a doer of the word? Or do you just say, ah, good sermon. You know, we don't come to be inspired or even to be challenged. We come to be changed, transformed into the image of Christ. We have some wonderfully Christ-like people in this church. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this one. Do, 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 we, do you understand that expression here? That's a very American expression that you have the choir behind and the preaching to the choir. They're the ones who have already bought in. You know, uh, that we have some incredibly wonderfully Christ-like people. But the reality is we're still becoming like him. So not only are you a worshiper, not only are you a Minister, you're a prayer, not a prayer, a prayer. That's part of the work of the ministry. Now, prayer is relational. There's one aspect of prayer is relational. It's me being alone with God. When you pray, go into your closet alone. It's whether it's in your closet, in your room, or whether it's while you're walking or sitting in wilderness or at the beach. There's a time where you need to just be alone with God. But there's also prayer that is rulership. It's where two or three agree about anything, it shall be done. Okay, there's nobody to agree with when I'm talking to God alone. That's just relationship. It's me just talking with God. But there's something about us hearing God together, what's on his heart, and de declaring that, that causes something to happen. I was uh, thrilled last night. I was talking with someone I met who's telling me they'd been in India, and there's... Uh, 
about a thousand people a day being baptized. About 5,000 people a day in Iran getting saved. Well, for the last number of years, there's been a call for the church to pray for the 1040 window from 10 degrees to 40 degrees north latitude, which covers most of the uh, Islamic world and much of India and China. And so the church has been praying and we're seeing God work. It's amazing how God works when we pray. Are you a prayer? When you see someone in a need, do you pray for them? Or do you say, oh, let me call one of the, the pastors. Let me tell you, I don't know how to pray any different than you know how to pray. You talk to Jesus. He does it. It's not who prays for you. It's what Jesus does. So not only do you need time to pray alone, but we need time to pray together. So we do that on the first Wednesday of each month at City Mission Chapel at 7 o'clock for everyone. That's part of being a kingdom of priests. That we pray together for God's purpose. I want to see the same move of God in Launceston that we're seeing in Iran. In fact, I think we should see more. Iran is the Shia stronghold of Islam in the world. And 5,000 people a day are getting saved. Australia isn't. We should see that and then more. But even if we had the same moving of God in, I broke it down once, in Launceston alone, not all of Australia, not all of Tasmania, but then just in Launceston, we should see about seven people a day getting saved, about 50 a week. Does that sound like a lot? I break it down like that and I go, that's not actually much. Are you praying that way? Or are you just praying, God bless me? He wants to bless you, but there's more than that. You're also called to serve. In uh, Matthew chapter 20. They're having fun there. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we're being conformed into his image, if we're carrying the presence of God together, then we're called to serve. Now let me get very practical for you. If you sit on a chair when you come here, Maybe offer to help set up or tear down. Especially if you're under 60 and fit. About a month ago, we had a couple who were here setting up. They're in their 70s. And I thought, I love their heart. But what happened to all the young guys? Let me say this, if you have kids, or grandkids, or wherever a kid yourself, <laughs> maybe offer to help with the kids' church. Oh, I don't have a grace for that. God says his grace is sufficient. Let me, let me 
settle things. You have grace for everything God calls you to do. Don't ever say, I don't have enough grace for that. I don't have enough grace for those people. Oh, Tim and I, he just, I don't have enough grace for him. You're just lying. You don't have enough grace, but he has enough grace for everyone. If you drink tea or coffee, here. Maybe you can offer to help with hospitality. Everyone doesn't have to do that. But what I'm saying is this. If we served together, if we carried the weight together, you'd probably only do that about every six or eight weeks. You know, the worship guys come here every Sunday morning and set up this stuff. It doesn't just happen here automatically. It's not just magic. Now, they don't want everyone helping to do this because you have to know a little bit so that it actually works when it's all together. What am I talking about? God's pattern is that we carry his presence together. We're not Christian consumers. We're not those who come and just say, ah, serve me. That's not God's pattern. Unfortunately, preaching like this means that we're swimming upstream in the church world. The way the church world has come in the last number of years is come and watch a performance and you don't have to do anything. In fact, we don't want you to do anything. You'll ruin it. We're saying just the opposite. God's pattern is that we do it together. I found that there's a lot of people who have the insight to see what's wrong with the church. But my prayer is that we go beyond that and we become the solution. It's not just what's wrong. How do we become the solution? How do we, how much presence of God and anointing would you like to see on Sunday morning? How much do you carry? You still like me? Why is it important? Because we're trying to build according to God's pattern and not man's. That includes a lot of things. It includes our focus being on Jesus and not ourselves. We're not us-centered. Though Jesus loves us and touches us and heals us, we're him-centered. I met someone who hadn't been in church for a lot of years, had been hurt by a church. Can I just uh, ask you real quick, how many of you that that's been your experience at some point in your life? Just put your hand up real quick. That you had been hurt or haven't been in church or that God's doing something. Well, that was these guys that this lady was telling me she'd heard she should come visit Redemption Hills. And while that is thrilling, my first thought was, 
Redemption Hills won't heal her. As wonderful as you are, Jesus is the healer. It's not the church. I love you. I think we're a wonderful church. But we've got to remember that why our focus is on Jesus. Our focus also is the Word and the Spirit. We need that truth of the Word, but we also need the life of the Spirit. You know, someone said, if you only focus on the Word, you dry up. If you only focus on the Spirit, you blow up. But if you have the Word and the Spirit together, you grow up. Equipping the saints. Part of that pattern is leaders who equip rather than do everything. Why could I be away and we have some wonderful preachers? Not because I equipped them, but because God equipped them. <laughs> but the other pattern, part of that pattern is a kingdom of priests. We want to see multiple teams. You say, ah, oh, but we've got a great worship team. Now we need six worship teams. Why? Because one, they don't have to lead every week. They can actually just sit and worship. But two, we're here for more than just ourselves. We're here to see the kingdom advance. Our focus isn't church growth. Our focus is kingdom advancement, which means this, planting God-patterned churches in every city and town in Tasmania. God did not call me here to plant a church. He called me here to advance his kingdom, which means planting churches in every city town. How's he going to do that? A kingdom of priests. Multiple teams. People who are capable and qualified to announcements associated with that. In light of this, I just want you to get this on your calendar. Next year, we're going to do a class, Knowing God and Making Him Known, which is biblical theology with a relational focus. Rain. We're going to do that on Wednesdays, beginning uh, the first Wednesday in March. It's for everybody. Uh, I found often, here's my illustration. How many of you know that uh, an iceberg, you know an iceberg, it's about 10% above the water and all the rest is below the water. So if this is the water line, you got this iceberg here and you got all this other part here. And uh, often as I travel in different churches, I'm asked theological questions and I've learned over the years that those questions are often the 10% above the water. But the answer is determined by what people believe under, that's under the water. And sometimes what we believe is really subconscious. We've been taught things that we don't actually know why we believe that. And some of the things we've been taught aren't actually the Bible. Some of the things we're taught in church aren't actually the Bible. I hope that's not the case here. If it is, hit me. You're a kingdom of priests. You've got to search the scriptures. But we're going we're gonna to do that. Just put that in your calendar for uh, March, March, April, and May. And then we're actually going to come back again in September, October, November. You'll hear more about this later. But before everyone starts Christmas break and 
holidays. I just want you to get that in. But we also, as a church, partner with an Ephesians 4 team called New Covenant Ministries International. And we've got the, the leader of that team who will be with us in February. February 14, 15, and 16. Uh, we call it a TAS equip because it's equipping. If you haven't heard about this before, put that in your calendar. It's all about being equipped. Why is it important? Because God's pattern is all of us. Can I say, if you've been hurt in church, or if you've been hurt by Christians, or if you've been hurt by leaders, God wants to heal you. But not just to heal you so that you're whole, but heal you so that you can be a part of the solution and what he's doing. He's amazing. Would you stand? If you need some prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you are. We often call you to the front, but uh, I realized, while that is okay, I don't want to set a pattern that's different than God's, that it takes the leaders or someone who's in front to pray for you. It doesn't. If you need a touch from God, if you need prayer for healing, for anything, just raise your hand and people around you will pray for you as we're dismissed. Just keep, as we're dismissed, just keep your hand up and there's some people who will pray for you. Okay, there's something about just saying, hey, I need a touch from God. Lord, we're just so amazed at your goodness, what you're able to do in us and through us, how you're able to bring healing and restoration. Lord, that uh, even when we face difficulties, our eyes are fixed on you. And in that place, there's life. I just pray that there would be a releasing of your anointing, of your presence, as we as priests carry that. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some coffee and tea.